0: This episode of the React Podcast is brought to you by reacttraining.com. In person, hands on training for development teams from React community leaders and experts. Visit reacttraining.com to learn more. Hello, everybody. And welcome back to another exciting episode of the React podcast. I am your host, Michael Jackson, here with my co-host, Michael Chan. Hello, everyone. And we have a very special guest with us this week, Sophie Alpert, who is the engineering manager for React at Facebook.
1: Hi, it's great to be here.
0: Thank you so much for joining us on the show this week, Sophie. Now, are you uh, are you, are you at work right now?
1: Yeah, I am. I'm in a I'm in a conference room uh, with a name from. It's a Seinfeld reference, I think. Although I don't follow Seinfeld, so I don't get any of them. <laughs> but you know, we we name our conference rooms fun things, and I guess people thought this was fun. <laughs> well, so, uh, that, are you in the new building? Um, we have a lot of buildings. Uh, right, okay. right now I work in a. Uh, what we call Building Twenty Three, which I guess is the twenty-third building, but from by some count, although we don't have any buildings less than ten. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I'm 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 moving in a couple of weeks to uh, a newer new building that's about to open. So
0: now does the does the whole React team sit together in Building Twenty Three right now?
1: Yeah. Well, the folks of us who are in the U.S. do. Um, we al- we also have two in London and. They sit in London.
0: That's right. So, how how many uh, how many people now on the React team these days?
1: Yeah. So, uh, the React core team is what we uh, what we call my team. That's uh, me plus uh, six other people. So, four here in California, and four and sorry, two in London. And uh, we're responsible for what you think of as React and React DOM. And so, that's basically all of the. Uh, the entire web version of React as well as the parts of React that are shared between uh, web and native. Um, We do have a separate React Native team that I'm not counting and also a team that works on uh, Relay and some of our other related projects.
0: And and that's your full time job. Is that right? To work on react and bring us all joy and happiness.
1: Yeah. The, the seven of us, we, we just, uh, work on making your life better.
0: Yeah. That's, that's awesome. You know, I saw on your, um, I saw on your, on your website, sophiebits.com by the way, uh, Sophie is Sophie bits on pretty much anywhere you go on Twitter, GitHub. Um, and, and she also has this website, sophiebits.com. She says, I'm a software engineer. I build things to help people. Uh, And I thought that was a pretty cool way to describe uh, what you do. You haven't always been at Facebook, Sophie. You used to be at Khan Academy. And in fact, that's when I first met you. Um, In fact, when I first got into React, uh, you were already there. And you had been there for a long time. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, when you first kind of started working with, with React and when you first discovered it?
1: Yeah, so at the time I was working at Khan Academy. Um, it's uh, it's an educational nonprofit, uh, if if you're not familiar. And uh, I was working on this interactive math question editor uh, where you can build your own math questions. And um, And at the time I was... Building it in Backbone with a bunch of Backbone views and uh, struggling a little bit because it was a a pretty complex project and I, uh, you know, couldn't make everything fit together all the time. Um, But then uh, React came out. I I remember I saw it on, on Hacker News, I believe. This was in... In uh, the end of May in 2013 so almost five years ago uh, we're, we're a couple of weeks short of react's five year birthday uh, in in open source at least and and I looked at react and it just seemed like an absolutely perfect fit for the project that I was working on and so I went home that weekend and rewrote all of my code in react and and it ended up uh, being faster less code and easier to understand. <laughs> uh, and so I looked at it and I was like, well, may, may, maybe there's something here. Uh, <laughs> and, I, and ended up uh, deploying that to production about a week later. So something like 10 days after React was open sourced, uh, I had it running in production, which in hindsight is, uh, is a bit ludicrous um, <laughs> and I, uh, may, maybe not the, the best d- decision, um, but, uh, it, it worked out great.
0: I'm going to use another word for that. How about awesome? <laughs> that is pretty amazing.
1: I mean, at the time I was super excited by react because it seemed so great. I, you know, I, I read all the docs in one night and then I, there, there weren't very many docs at the time. And I was like, I still don't really get what's happening. And then I read all the source code, um, which there was also a lot less of at the time and was like, you know, I think there's, there, there's something here. And, and I, I really just jumped on it, um, but uh, yeah, in, in, in retrospect, I'm like, did I really deploy that to production less than two weeks after it was released? And the answer is yes.
2: As, as someone who's now managing that project, um, do, you, do you kind of go back to those, those memories of your early experiences um, making uh, Khan Academy um, in, in, like thinking in in making decisions for kind of the product that is uh, React and React Dumb?
1: Absolutely. One of the most important things when doing the job that I do is to think about the experience that people actually using React and building these products are going to have. Um, Because basically on the React team, our goal is to make it easier to build high quality user interfaces. And it's a lot easier to do that if you know what building building user, user interfaces is like. Um, and so for that reason, ba- basically everybody we have working on on React and uh, has built products before um, because, you know, it's, it, it, it's really helpful to have that that experience. And so we're, we're always trying to look at uh, finding ways to, you know, ma- ma- make it easier and uh take, you know, things that might be challenging today and make them a lot simpler. And, you know, that, that can come down down in a lot of ways. Um, you know, it can be uh, making React run faster so that your apps are more performant, or it can be building better debugging tools so that when your, your apps fall apart, you can figure out why quicker.
0: Now, can you describe a, a little bit about what kind of the dynamic is like uh, on the React team? I know I know a few uh, people on the React team. I don't I haven't met everybody. um but I met most of the people. I saw Andrew. I think it was Andrew. No, it was Brian the other night who tweeted something about how you all went out to dinner together. and he was just like, Oh, you know, like it it was great, you know, And then. Uh, and then I saw quite a bit of uh joking going back <laughs> going back and forth. Is that is it is it generally a, a pretty pretty kind of I mean it seems like a pretty fun team to work on.
1: Yeah, I think so. You know, we we try to keep it it pretty lighthearted and and we, we all get, get along pretty well. And so um, you know, you'll you'll often find find us teasing each other a little bit.
2: I did notice that on Twitter there's a, was it A C D like explained? Is
1: that uh-huh. awesome? That- I, I think it's just ACD explained. Okay, uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, yeah. That that's a Twitter account. Um, I think it's not a secret who the creator is, <laughs> but I, I won't give it away just in case it is. But uh, you know, it's a you know, Andrew likes to make these uh, somewhat clever jokes sometimes, and so uh, so another member of our team made uh, made ACD explained to help explain mm-hmm. Andrew's jokes when they're when they're a little bit too cryptic.
2: It's really amazing. I've, I've very much enjoyed that addition to the uh, the React conversation.
0: <laughs> so you've been working on React now at uh, Facebook for about I think it's maybe about
1: two years. Um, it's over three actually. Oh geez! Wow!
0: I, I remember one of the first things. So you, but 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 you were contributing to React even before. Uh, even before you went to Facebook, I mean, you were you were using React at Khan Academy, but you were actually contributing um, real code, which is, I think, why it made made sense. You know, to to kind of segue into the position that you are that you're in now at Facebook.
1: Yeah, so I told you that you know in like June of 2013, when React was released, I I began to use it, and then uh, very shortly after that, I began to hang out in the the chat room they had for uh, people interested in React, and, and and also ended up running into a few bugs in in React at the time because it, w- it was obviously a much newer project, and um, ended up contributing back bug fixes and working on on larger and larger things over time, um, and eventually uh, by the end of 2014, I I found that I was spending most of my spare time on on React, and 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 really figured that. It was it was time to just come work on it full time.
2: So I, I have a question with regard to that. If if someone was uh, kind of wanting to carve out the same you know path towards kind of full time React development that you were uh, able to take, what would you what would you recommend for them? Uh, like what what does that look like uh, three and a half years later?
1: React is a much more mature project now, and so that means that there are a lot fewer uh, easy opportunities to contribute to the project versus when when I was starting there were there were so so many things that needed fixing and so so many features that didn't exist yet that it was it was pretty easy to just look and and see gaps whereas now um, we have a, what we think is a, a pretty cohesive set of features um, and we also have our own idea of what we're trying to get to with the project and where, where we're trying to take it. And that, that actually does mean that it's harder to end up contributing to it, especially as somebody who's, uh, you know, not completely steeped in all of our plans and things like that. That said, we do, uh, you know, we love having open source contributors. We have, uh, we file GitHub issues now and then uh, and label them uh, good first issue, I think, is the name of the tag. And those are, are issues that, can can really help us, but ho- hopefully don't require a, a ton of context about about React that most people won't have, and so we, we try to explain it so that some, somebody who's interested in the project can get started.
2: That's interesting. So, how has your uh, your experience been? Kind of transitioning from um, from products at, at Khan Academy to or, or like a user facing product to um, a product that is uh, kind of a, a platform or a tool for people to build their applications on it did a lot of those skills transfer over or has it been a totally new set of skills that you've had to learn and get good at
1: for the most part the skills overlap a lot you know i'm still developing javascript on the web in some sense and uh still need to know a lot of the same things that you would need to know for uh for for building any user interface but uh, certainly the the exact balance of how things fit together is is a little bit different. We end up doing you know more more algorithmic work and things like that uh, while while developing React itself because we want to make sure it's as optimized as we can make it.
0: From what I understand, uh, React itself, though, is kind of treated as a product within the larger Facebook org, right? It's a uh, your your customers aren't, uh, you know, really like, the, uh, the end users of facebook.com, but your customers are more like other engineering teams, uh, at Facebook itself.
1: Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. And so then when making decisions about what we want to work on, we need to take into account that, uh, you know, we, we need to make sure that we're solving the use cases that these teams have. And we need to ideally make it so that they want to use React because, um, you know, we're, we're we're not in any position to force them to use it if they don't want to. And so, you know, if we think we have something to offer them, then it's it, it's sort of on us to convince them of that.
0: Do you get any kinds of competition from other teams inside Facebook who are like, uh, my thing is way cooler than React? You should use my thing instead. Does that happen?
1: Uh, remarkably, we haven't run into that very much on, on the web. React is... Powering almost all of our our interfaces, um, you know, we do have some cases where we're actually using older technologies uh, for v- various reasons. Like a lot of our homepage is still server driven, but I wouldn't say that we we really have any like React competitors that are uh, trying to to displace React. Um, m- most of that competition actually comes uh, from externally.
0: So, um, yeah. So the external competition would be. I guess other kinds of JavaScript frameworks, right? You know, the, whatever, whatever other people are doing. And in that case, it's it's not really like uh, I, I wouldn't exactly word it as like competition. It's more like I guess it's more like R and D. It seems like
1: yeah, you're you're absolutely right. We, you know, I, I I did say competition, but we we try to be very friendly with with all of the other frameworks that are trying to solve problems in the same space because you know we're trying to solve. A lot of the same problems as they are and it's helpful for us to just have a collaborative atmosphere and I don't want to you know I don't want to fight anybody here and so um you know like actually Facebook sponsors a couple other uh projects that you might consider to be quote unquote react competitors because you know we, we really do want to to encourage those projects to grow and to to innovate because uh we we can all learn from each other
2: this is something that's that, that has always been attractive to me about the React um, community, even from the very beginning. I feel like some frameworks have really kind of tried to make the story about competition and like, you know, they do this, we do this thing better, they do this, we do this thing, um, you know, in a better way and have that be the story of their framework. And I've always loved um, kind of the spirit of React, which is this is the thing that works for us. It's a thing that works for Facebook com. Um, we enjoy it. We have put, uh, you know, some of our, we put great engineers behind it. We believe in it. We want to push it forward and hopefully it's useful to you as well. Um, but other people are doing great work and we're going to borrow from that and kind of, uh, you know, hopefully what we've done can, uh, be adopted into those frameworks as well. And I just, I, I guess this is more just a statement, but I've always appreciated and, um, Enjoyed the spirit that you're talking about that um, kind of friendly, um, maybe slightly competitive, but like with a spirit of, hey, we're all in this together, um, just trying to move things forward and uh, learn from each other. So, congratulations on doing that well.
1: Well, thank you. I, you know, one thing I like to look at for inspiration is uh, back a, a decade or more ago, uh, you would have the Netscape and IE teams, I believe, sending sending each other cakes uh, when they had <laughs> ma- major version releases, or it might have been Firefox and IE, um, even though you know the, those browsers were so often pitted against each other. Um, but but under all of that, there was this camaraderie.
0: I remember that. I remember seeing some pictures of cakes. I think I saw like a Firefox cake one time. I'm pretty sure we could uh, could pull up some pictures of that online without uh, without too much trouble. So help me understand: what is it like for a for a, a day in the life of of a a core React engineer at Facebook? Um, it's it's my understanding that. Uh, that a lot of the work at Facebook, uh, for example, you know, a, a lot of products obviously are built in React and that when React itself uh, changes that the React engineers are responsible for uh, actually going and, and making sure that the product teams not only know about those changes but actually are making commits on other products to help them uh, to, to keep their code up to date with those changes. Is that right? It, this is, I think, why... There are a lot of the um, you know the code mods and things like like what Christoph does. Is that right?
1: At Facebook, we have over fifty thousand React components in our code base. We also use a single version of React across all of them. It's it, it's a monorepo, a single stack for all of our websites. And this means that it's a lot easier to make Sweeping changes to the code base because you can you know you can update all of it in a single commit. Um, however it also means that in order for us to upgrade React, we need to make sure that nobody's relying on something that, that doesn't work in the new version. And so yeah, it's it's basically on us to make sure that when we make breaking changes to React, we're not breaking anybody's code because you know if we did, then that's that's sort of on us. If you know, if people can't interact with their friends on Facebook, that's that's not not what we want to make happen. And so, um, so our team basically is responsible for uh, figuring out how to bring everybody along on this journey when we make breaking changes. And so, th- this is actually something that a lot of people don't realize about our team. But we spend uh, a huge amount of time working on these migration strategies to figure out. You know how we can do these breaking changes gradually, how we can uh, get people to move on to the, the newest APIs. And in, in, in a lot of cases, we can do it in some sort of automated way if we can write a script to, to rewrite people's components. Uh, the, the most sophisticated example of that um, was when we converted from React.create class to ES6 classes, and we, we open-sourced uh, that that script a couple of years ago. That's the sort of thing that really helps us not get left behind, and then it, it, it it's also good practice for us because if our team of seven people is responsible for upgrading these fifty thousand components to work with the the newest version of React, then it probably means that that any other company is also going to be able to to upgrade to the latest version as well.
2: In your experience with that, what have been some of the most uh, winning strategies or lessons that you learned the hard way that are like now part of every pre-release checklist?
1: The biggest thing we've done actually is automating as much as we can because it just makes it so much easier to make progress. So we have must be thousands of automated tests for React that capture as much as we can for all of the core behaviors of React. We add a test whenever there's any sort of regression to make sure it, it never happens again. And uh, we like we were actually able to use this test suite when we rewrote all of React last year to make sure that the the new version was basically completely compatible with the old version. We also recently worked on an automated release script where you know we can run the tests and push everything to npm. We have a whole bunch of packages and tag it and put it on Bower, I think. And we have you know it. There, there's quite a number of steps to a release, and and it actually used to take us uh, a few hours to do a release. Now, now you can do one in like ten minutes.
0: I'm glad you mentioned the uh, the rewrite of React uh, that happened last year. For for anybody who's not familiar with that, the the uh, React sixteen release uh, is uh, was a, was a pretty vast departure internally uh from what was what was previously done. In fact, you Sophie wrote a post on the uh, on the Facebook code blog uh, last uh, last towards the end of last year you said uh, an API compatible uh, that's react 16 was an API compatible rewrite of our front-end library. You described it like uh, you described it like replacing the engine of a running car. <laughs> so here you are cruising down. Cruising down the road, and uh, somebody hops out the uh, hops out the window onto the hood. They pop it open and they swap out the engine. And the car is uh, the car is still going down. Can can you tell us a little bit about that experience? What was that like? And 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 why was the uh, why was the rewrite uh, something that you determined to do?
1: We hit a point where it was getting harder and harder to make changes to React because we had a fair amount of legacy code debt that was, um, you know, from the the infrastructure that was built up when React was first written. But we had found over time that, you know, the things that we wanted React to do had changed slightly. And so um, we found that it was pretty hard to make some changes that you you might even think would be simple. Like um, one of the features we added in React 16 is... Uh, fragment support where you can return more than one component from your render method and this change sounds really simple when you describe it but it was actually very difficult to make that happen with our co- old code base because basically everything assumed that you know that every component would turn into a single node it would you know when you say i want to render this app component then it would be like well what is the html element that that maps to and so uh, so, in order to break some of those fundamental assumptions, uh, we ended up doing a, a, this large-scale rewrite of almost all of the internals of React.
0: So, how does how did a project like that actually sort of come to pass? You know, I mean, how do you like allocate time for that and determine okay, who's gonna who's gonna do this? I mean, how do you how do you break down something that big? I guess into, uh, I mean, a rewrite of React seems like a a, a huge a huge engineering task. I'm sure you'd had, you'd had, you know, a lot of engineering experience, you know, obviously before that, but, but even to me at this point in my career, it seems just like a, just like a, (laughs) like a huge task. I don't know. I don't even know how I would, how I would approach something like that. What can you tell us any, anything about the process?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I wrote uh, quite a bit about it in my post that you, you mentioned on the Facebook code blog, but basically, um, you know, I have to give a lot of the credit to Sebastian on our team. He, the rewrite was really his idea, and he he planned out the architecture that we ended up with. But um, once we had an idea of what we were aiming for, it was basically just trying to build it up piece by piece, and then and then try to make as many of the tests pass as possible as we were as we were doing that. And so, you know, we started out, and I'm sure it was like two out of Seven hundred test files passing, or something like that, and then uh, and that it was just more, more and more over time. We started out with the the data structures, and then supporting very, very limited use cases. You know, at first, I think it did some semblance of an initial, of an initial render but it didn't support set state it didn't support anything like that and uh, just just gradually added all the features back
0: i, I remember following along actually watching the tests uh, you know watching the isfiberreadyyet.com slowly go green over the course of like several months uh, that was pretty cool. are, are uh, a lot of the uh, I, I've looked through the the facebook uh, or sorry it's the React code base, not obviously not as much as you have, but I've looked through there, and I've noticed that a lot of the tests, um not not all of them, but a lot of them are written, you know, using the public API, which is uh, totally awesome and allows you to do stuff like that, right? Because if it's all written using internal API, then, you basically just have to throw all those tests away in a situation like that.
1: Yeah, and that that's a big thing that we actually learned while doing this rewrite. A, a fair number of our tests uh, at the time were testing these internal modules where when we had written the test, we had said, oh yeah, of course, we're going to keep using this module forever. And then, and then it just came to light that that was simply not true. And so we needed to convert a lot of those tests to be... Uh, Based on the public API um, but in turn you know we we have been able to do that uh, with the rewrite to make sure that both versions of react pass all the same tests and then another thing that we recently did that was enabled by this was uh, running the majority of our tests against the actual built bundles versus you know pre- previously we were requiring a bunch of internal modules directly and um, now now we are actually able to run like 90% of our tests against the exact bundles that we ship to NPM and that we, we use at Facebook and to make sure that nothing in our packaging process actually even introduces any issues because uh, we have uh, a, a build process that is is more elaborate than I think we'd like it to be, but uh, we, we need to support a, a lot of di- different use cases and certain files are replaced in certain build configurations and things like that. So,
2: I feel like there was an article written about this maybe on the React
1: blog? Yeah, that's true. Um, Dan Abramov wrote a post um, at the end of last year, I think, uh, probably in November or December, um, called Improving the Repository Infrastructure. It's on our blog, and he talked about a lot of these improvements we did, including running the tests against the bundles and the automated release script that I mentioned earlier.
2: Yeah, I feel like that's a really helpful resource um, you know, for people who are just getting into uh, open source and testing in general. It really laid out a lot of the things that, that you all had learned. And um, it, it does seem like lessons that a lot of people have to learn on their own. And it really is nice to see them all documented in that, in that one spot for a, a really big project.
0: Oh man, it's a a helpful lesson for me to learn. I've got a bug right now on uh, on the React Router website that is not present in development, um, that is only present after the build has run and the thing is (laughs) shipped to production. And, and I'm like, I'm listening to this conversation. I'm like, maybe I should be doing some of that sort of like end to end, you know, here's the final bundle. Okay. Now run your tests.
1: Yeah. Running tests on the production version of react is also something we, we learned, you know, we have two, two versions of react where the, the development one has more warnings. uh, And it, it does like prop types checking, which we actually skip in production. And, Uh, We were running most of our tests against the development builds because we had to assert that certain warnings get fired and things like that. But there were some cases where we would mess up and the dev build would work fine and the production build would be broken and then our tests wouldn't catch it. And so we, we also ended up rewriting our tests so that... We So that we can run them against the production builds, and then for the tests that are verifying that a certain warning is logged, then we just say, "Oh well, you, we don't expect that warning to be logged in production, but we expect everything else to be exactly the same.
0: You, you said your build process is a little more complex than you'd like. What are you using for the uh, for the build at, at at Facebook? I mean, I mean, I'm sure there are like multiple steps and multiple things involved. But what does it generally kind of look like?
1: So for React itself, a lot of it is, Custom. We actually have our own build scripts inside the React repo, um, and uh, a fair amount of them are custom. We also do make use of Rollup as our bundler and um, Google Closure compiler uh, to minify the code after after it's bundled together. But um, we also have we we have a, a lot of custom logic because certain certain things behave differently in certain environments. There's uh, there's some files where we want to fork their behavior when running in React Native and things like that. And so there, there, there's quite an elaborate process.
0: Okay. So uh, I would like to spend just a little bit of time talking about, you know, stuff that, you know, just talking about the future, talking about stuff that you're anticipating, stuff that uh, stuff that you're excited about. Obviously, we've had uh, we've had both Dan and Andrew on the podcast in the last couple of months. Uh, we had Dan on, uh, literally the week before he went up and, uh, gave his talk at, uh, JSConf Iceland. Uh, and then we had Andrew on a couple of weeks after that. And, and we've talked a little bit about the Async React. Um, I, I assume you're anticipating that you're excited about that. Uh, how's, how's that work coming along, uh, internally at Facebook?
1: You know it's going really well. Um, with everything we release on React, we want to try to test it ourselves first to make sure that it's good. Because we don't want to release something and have a lot of people jump on it and be really excited for it, and then find out that it, it doesn't really work as well as we we thought it would work. And and that that that's one of the advantages we have of actually developing something like this at Facebook is. You know, we we operate at a, at a pretty large scale, and so we can make sure that what, whatever features we have work uh, work at that scale. Um, and so, right now, we are running our first production tests of these async rendering capabilities, uh, trying to see how how they behave in in the real world on on real components. And um, the the results aren't quite in yet, but hopefully hopefully they'll they'll look good and then hopefully we can get these capabilities out so that other people can use them as well um, however uh, the the version of react that we run at Facebook is always trailing what we have on github uh, we we sync in the master branch from github to our internal repos about once every week or two and so all of these, uh, capabilities that we're testing are actually already on GitHub they they're just disabled in, in most of the build configurations because we're not quite ready to have people use them but if you're really adventurous you can go find them there oh
0: so you don't you don't actually run a specific version of react at github you run more like a sha like uh you know like if you're if you're doing it every couple of weeks i don't i don't think releases happen that often do they
1: no they they don't and so yeah we whenever we run our sync script to import the latest version of react, it just grabs whatever's on master at that time.
0: That's so awesome. <laughs> it's like living, breathing software, you know, it's not like, uh, this is software at such and such a version. It's like, oh yeah, whatever's on master, let's run that. It
2: feels almost like those early days at uh, Khan Academy, just uh, shipping React two weeks after you uh, <laughs> <laughs> coded yeah, out. Yeah, a little bit like that.
0: <laughs> I, there was just one more topic that I wanted to touch on. And uh, thank you, by the way, for for sharing everything that you have with us about about React. Um, and this is a, a topic that I think is, uh, is important for a lot of people to you know, that are here in this podcast and in this industry to understand, um, and, and, uh, and have some understanding for So Sophie last year, uh, or was it, no, it wasn't last year at all. It was earlier. Oh no, it was last year. It was in August of last year. The, the, the blog post that you had, um, on your blog where you said, hi, I'm trans. And, uh, and you said, you know, that, that you'd known for a long time that, you know, if, if somebody gave you the choice, um, you know, that, that you would choose to be a woman, that, that, um, that this was something that you'd felt for a long time. And, and so at a, at a certain point you made the decision, you said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to transition. Um, and I, you know, one of the things that really affected me, uh, uh, personally uh, about that post is you talked about how, you know, up about 50% of people who, who experience, uh, gender dysphoria, which is the clinical term for for people who uh, don't identify with uh, with the gender that their that their body is, uh, attempt suicide. And uh, as somebody who who kind of you know struggles with mental illness, I've I've written about it on you know various occasions. Uh, that 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 number really really uh, really shocked me and and really uh, really broke my heart. So I wanted to give uh, give you a chance and, and, uh, and, uh, just to, just to maybe remind us all a little bit about what we can do, um, as, as people, as individuals in our, in our communities and as part of the react community to help and to be more inclusive. Uh, what are things that we can do to, to help people who are, um, who, who might feel out of place because they, uh, because, you know, they, they have this, they struggle with this.
1: You, uh, you cited that 50% number, 50% of people who are trans end up committing suicide or uh, attempting mm-hmm. to commit suicide, uh, at some point in their, their lives. And, um, the thing that I forgot to mention in that post and probably should have is that, um, the overwhelming majority of those people are people who don't, get the chance to transition, um, people who aren't able to, to live out who they really are, um, and, and face, uh, um, or people who, who face, you know, various, uh, various aspects of, of discrimination in the course of Mm -hmm. doing so. Um, and so the biggest thing that I can ask for is just for people to, uh, Try to be welcoming to people who you know might not behave you know might not dress the same way that you're used to or might not uh, present themselves the the same way as you're used to and and understand that um, you know sort of the the way they choose to to present is is not really any of your business it's it's their business and um and also try to just have some empathy for people who are going through a, a difficult process. I, I remember actually, um, at react conf last year, um, that was probably in March, if I remember right. Um, I was on a and a Q&A panel at near, near the end of the conference. And I remember I had, um, that this was b- before I, I transitioned and, and b- before I, I came out publicly. Um, and I, I remember I was wearing nail polish, uh, when I was on that panel and then when I was looking at the, the YouTube video of that panel later, I, I saw a comment, uh, that said, I think what's with the nail polish. Is this a freak show or something? And I deleted that comment, um, and turned off comments, which we had intended to do on all of our videos actually. Um, so, so you won't, won't see it there if you look now, but that, that comment was pretty demoralizing for me. Um, as you know, somebody who is trying to, to find herself. Um, and I, you know, I, I cle- clearly, I, I made it past that and I'm, I'm still around. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm actually very happy li- living as a woman now, which, which I've, I've been able to do.
0: I thank you so much for, uh, for taking the time to speak to that, to that question. I know that's a, it's not a react question. It's more just a, a, a people question and it's a, it's a, it's uh you know being nice and being respectful to people, which you know the more I the more software that I do, uh the more I learn and understand that it really is just about people. I feel like software sometimes is kind of a uh, it's the it's the medium, you know that we we write code, but it you know sharing code and sharing thoughts about code and and talking about code and giving conference talks. It really is just about connecting people and helping people, and uh, and so uh, so I thank you for taking the taking the time to uh, to talk about that here on the podcast.
2: Thank you too. I I have a question if if that's all right. Go ahead. So I have I have two kids, uh, Rock and Ruby, and they're what four and seven, I think, going on five and eight. And I'm just wondering, like as a as a parent of you know of of two kids, what's what's the best way to i guess leave that leave that conversational door open for my kids
1: you know i think the biggest thing you can do is to just explain things to them and explain that you know this is how people are you know in, in the same way where um you know if your kids see a gay couple and ask like oh what like what's with that what does that mean you know, there, there's two ways you can react to that. You can either, uh, you can just say, like, it's just two men who love each other, or two, two women who love each other. And if you say that, then kids will probably just say, oh, cool, and then mo- move on to the next thing because, you know, they're, they're not born with the, these prejudices that uh, that we, we have as adults. Um, and so um, that's really the the same thing you have to do for for anything like this. And, you know, I have some friends who who are trans who've t- talked to kids and, um, you know, like what one friend of mine said, um, said like, I used to be a girl, but I <laughs> took a magic potion that turned me <laughs> into to a boy because I wanted to be a boy. And the, the kids thought that that was like so cool. And, um, you know, you'll just, just opening these doors to make sure that people know that, this is even a possibility uh, will help them help them find themselves. I mean, you know, mo- most people in this world aren't trans. And so statistically, your kids probably aren't trans. But uh, for the case that they are, you know, you, you want to be you want to be there and you want to be supportive for that. Because uh, when when you're not, I think that that's where we we get into those statistics we mentioned earlier.
2: Oh, absolutely. Well, thank you for
1: that.
0: Okay, so Sophie Bits, uh, Twitter.com slash Sophie Bits, GitHub.com slash Sophie Bits, SophieBits.com. Thank you so much for joining us, Sophie Alpert. And we will see you all next week on the React Podcast.